the JSA Clicks Podcast, the show where we discuss high-level competitive, casual, and everything in between. Your host is Jay Solomon, and now, on to the show. Hey everyone, this is the JSA Clicks podcast, episode number I don't care. We discuss the competitive HeroClix environment as well as any alternate formats that are currently relevant. I'm your host, Jay Solomon, and today I'm joined by my co-hosts, who are both much better at HeroClix than me. We have current reigning Canadian national champion for forever, apparently, Devin. Hope not forever. <laughs> and we have the Canadian national champion from before that, uh, the last American to win, PJ. Yeah, but I won't... I'm... I won't be the last American to win it, though. Yeah, I mean, it's too bad you couldn't make it the last year because they announced it the last minute. I remember talking to you about how you just could not get a flight. It was not acceptable, yeah. And today we're following up from last episode's general strategy uh, where we're going to be talking about archetypes, which is uh, more extensive than I realized. And then after that... (laughs) I think the only other episode we need to do is maps because maps are especially important. Huh? Also still tactics. But yes. I guess yeah, general actual gameplay tactics. Sure. I've already written that part, so well, oh, of course not you have. totally. Okay. But I started on it. Okay, that's right. This is why you did it and uh <laughs> yeah, so Game Theory so is ahead. something I enjoy, so I like writing these types yeah. of episodes. Yeah, so go ahead and uh, lead us off. Yeah, so um Last week, we discussed a number of ways that you can figure out um, what figures you want to put on teams and what figures work best with uh, those with the first figures you've chosen and um, how you can figure out what kind of uh, math your team has in comparison to the field and that kind of stuff. So generally, we've gone over um, how to build a solid team, but there's a number of useful things that you can use to help figure out what else belongs on your team. And one of those is thinking about your team in the context of an archetype. Um, so by that, uh, I'll, I'll use names that Heroclix players will be familiar with, things like Alpha Strike or Don't Die or um, One Man Army, Swarm, that kind of stuff. So um, all of those archetypes have generally uh, are generally abstractable so that you can figure out what types of figures should be on a team. And you can use that to starting with an idea of an archetype or a particular figure that you know goes well in a particular archetype to figure out what else you probably need to put around it. So the the first one um, that I wanted to talk about is just uh, like, what if I've built a team that doesn't have a specific plan? <laughs> so this is balance. It's um, an archetype where you've put a bunch of good figures on your team and you you have a reasonable reach, you have some amount of defensive potential, um, you have good numbers, but you, you aren't planning on running across the map to kill your opponent, you aren't planning on burying into your starting area from turn one. Um, you're just playing a game of hero clicks with good figures. So this is probably the most common type of team that uh, you see people who are new to team building for competitive build. Um, it's just sort of 
you have a bunch of figures that you know are good and you've put them on a team and now you're trying to figure out what to do with them. We talked last week a little bit about what powers should be on pretty much every team and all of that still applies here. Um, there are, it's sort of interesting right now because it seems like every good team has an alpha strike. <laughs> well, I think it's important to note that like, Having full map reach doesn't make your team an alpha strike team. Yes. Like, so that's a, a, an important distinction. Just because you have what would be considered a good alpha doesn't mean that that's what your team is. You're not dedicated to it. Yeah. If you brought two flashes, you have a full map reach, but that doesn't suddenly make your team alpha strike by, arch by archetype. And if you think it does and you listen to our advice on things that should be on alpha strike teams, then you will throw away a bunch of your potential. Uh, team building equity there yep. yeah so balance sort of we're not going to spend a, all that long on this one because i think that sort of the general advice that we gave for good teams covers this one the most of all of the archetypes um but like you're gonna you're gonna want telekinesis right now like pj said last week you're gonna want barrier <laughs> yep. if you have a team that's not super committed to any particular thing and you don't have barrier on it you're in trouble or like, you know, 25 defense or something, <laughs> I yeah. guess, if you can manage that. Yeah, I feel like this is a team that you'll see more often than I can remember before. Like, I guess there have been like general cosmic good stuff teams. Yeah, that was yeah. what I uh... like. Yeah, I mean, like Gardner Trader, you know. Yeah, Lock we're actually going to discuss the Double Trader Gardener a little later, because I think it's slightly yeah. different. But um, it is it is still within the balance category. Yeah, the the general cosmic good stuff is stuff that PJ and I have played a lot of and definitely falls in this category. Yeah, I mean, also now it's it's easy to theme stuff, right? So it's not as hard to actually build a team that, of has, that has all the good stuff, just because a lot of the good figures happen to have those keywords, so... Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because it used to be, I think, that this team would be a lot more likely to be unthemed than it is currently. Right now, the big balance teams are like Latveria and Scientist and um, that kind of stuff, which are themed because three extra probs is really good. <laughs> yep. And, yeah, unthemed. Uh, yeah, this would have definitely group. been, we would probably have called this like unthemed good stuff. Whereas and most unthemed good stuff teams fit into this. Some of them don't. There, are, there are unthemed teams that fit into some of the other archetypes, but um, sure. a lot of the time. And I also, uh, I think it's fair to say that like it, you don't have to just be one archetype either. Like there's yeah. a distinct possibility that what you're playing fits into more than one, and that's okay. For sure. Yeah, these are not but, meant to be prescriptive. Like if you've built a team and you're like, well, it's not one of the archetypes that they mentioned, so maybe I should rebuild it. Like, don't think that way. It's meant to be an aid in figuring out what you should put on a team when team building. Not, It's not meant to describe exactly how your team has to look like at the end. I mean, full disclosure, for me, I don't actually ever really think about this sort of thing at all. Unless I'm specifically building a don't die, or I guess a barrier. So, Or an alpha. Like, if you're doing, like, four right. like, an alpha, you're playing... Otherwise, I don't really think about this sort of thing, because to me, those are also more game plans than team composition but yeah and i do think that thinking about this kind of thing is more useful as you're learning to team build than it is once you're already really good at it um 
but it, it's a great shortcut when you're starting out and uh, still useful when you're building Alpha Strike and stuff to think back and be like, wait, what am I missing? <laughs> I've played a bunch of Alpha Strike. What does it usually have that I don't currently have? And that brings us to the next archetype because balance isn't actually all that interesting to talk about, um, which is Alpha Strike. Um, so I think this is actually probably the second most common team that like newer players will build. Yeah. Just unadulterated offense. Yeah, exactly. Attack as much as possible and hope that you kill everything. Um, If you commit and miss and then you lose the game, you are playing an Alpha Strike game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my very first WKO win was with an Alpha Strike team. Um, The old, like, Chase uh, Age of Apocalypse Magneto. Yep. That guy was great. Um, But yeah, so Alpha Strike is when you move a very, very large percentage of your team across the map to attack multiple times after moving. Um, This requires that you have something that can attack after being carried, basically. There may have been an Alpha Strike team that didn't require that at some point, but for the the vast, vast majority, you're going to need a taxi and you're going to need something that can act after being carried in some way, like Samcap, who could explicitly act after being carried, or something like uh, Maggot or Jason Wingard, who generate. Yeah, or like Micron Atoms. Yeah, things that make. Yeah, I feel like. Make free attacks. Yeah, I feel like before, like Clarion, if you were going to alpha, it was going to be like a TK, a character. I don't think that uh, doing stuff after being. Or it was like yeah. two TKs and two attacks, you know, like if yeah. you hit your leadership that turn. <laughs> it's definitely become much more of a thing after the introduction of all of the free attacks and yep. great taxis that's happened in the past five, six years. Um, yeah, so Alpha Strike, when you're building it, uh, you definitely need a taxi. You definitely need things that make free attacks of some kind. You also need, probably depending on your attackers, but almost certainly you probably need some sort of support character that can make sure that your attacks actually impact. Um, So that can be somebody with Outwit to get rid of the defense powers, uh, somebody like the Prime Black Widow that just removed defense powers from adjacent characters, the um, Gorilla Grods that are on Tyler's animal team that increase the damage of all of your attacks, or Micron who does the same thing. Yep. Um, In my opinion, to fall into this archetype, half of your team has to be in your opposing starting area or very close to it. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you're just playing you know, aggressively. But I think to for a dedicated alpha, you're taking your whole team and maybe leaving retaliators behind. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's... The only teams that I can think of that don't... Like, Tyler's animal team doesn't literally take everything because it needs a telekinesis in the starting area to get its taxi <laughs> yeah, up it, far It's like everything it but human yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that is an Alpha Strike team, yeah. Like. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then there are um, teams like PJ mentioned that are Alpha Strike teams, but they have like two or three retaliators that stay in their starting area, and that does two things. One, you have like a devastating attack that if they kill the figures that are attacking them, you have a follow-up, and um, your retaliators are a lot better protected than they would be on a more balanced team just because they would have to ignore the things that are already in their face to go kill them. Yeah, you know, it's the whole uh, best best defense is a good offense, right? Backwards of the actual adage. Um, like, 
you're going up and trying to commit as much damage to their team as you can and hoping to survive the, the crackback. That's like how Tyler plays hero clicks. If you ever talk to him about it, like his, his whole team design is I build something that doesn't die when you hit it first and then hopefully kill stuff when it hits back. <laughs> so yeah. Or with whales, he would say that he would like send the whales up and then they would have to make decisions basically yep. like you have yeah, to interact so I don't with the whales the... or the whales attack and you get retaliated sort of thing yeah so i don't think that whales actually fall into this um that's sort of an interesting one because a, little, a significant portion of your team is moving up but i i still don't think they're alpha strike i do have an archetype listed here which is called retaliator abuse <laughs> and i put it in that category instead um, no i meant more that like tyler is generally sure. very aggressive yeah of course his play Just, style not necessarily whales but yeah just wanted to specify that uh, yeah. there is no, like, definitely not. leaving some retaliators and there's some crossover between an alpha strike team that leaves some retaliators in their starting area and retaliator abuse, but um, they are slightly different archetypes. There can be, there are versions of each that don't overlap with the other at all. Yep. Yeah, so um, alpha strike is pretty simple to build uh, overall. You just find the best figures that can make attacks after being carried. You play a taxi, you play some support figures, you attack. Yeah. You're yeah. done. <laughs> and like Peter said, the play style is get as much damage into your opponent as quickly as possible. If you've built a team that can get into your opponent's starting area on turn one and doesn't stand up well to attacks and you don't get into your opponent's starting area on turn one, you're in trouble, right? <laughs> like, yeah. if you're playing an Alpha Strike team wrong, then you you won't win <laughs> any game. Correct. And if you just miss, you just that's like you, know, you live and die by the alpha, right? So like uh, Joe Aldez, right? He's been doing very well with a lot of varied alpha strike teams lately, um, and he'll he'll say it. You live and die by it, right? It's if you go in, you commit, and you just miss everything. Like uh, like um, you know what nationals like two three years ago when Pat won mm-hmm. in U.S. Like, you can watch when I played him in top four. You live or die by the alpha. I went in and missed everything, and then I just said, okay, go ahead and vulture me, I lose. Like, that's just the nature of playing alpha. So if you go into an event committed to an alpha strike team because people said it was good, and you just miss, don't be like, well, this team was bad. It's like, no, that, that, that's the nature of the archetype. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and when you're thinking about, when you're building an alpha strike team and thinking about the math, last week we talked a little bit about um, defensive math as well. Don't really do your, the, the defensive math. <laughs> right. Exactly. Try to get your offensive math as good as possible. And then right. once you've done that, if you have things that can incidentally make you better on defense as well, do that. Like the emotional modifier does both. Awesome. Right. But, and like Molecule Man, you can just kind of yeah. play him. He opens up barrier for you to get in and also happens to barrier for you afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's stuff like that that do that do both. And like you said earlier, it needs outwit most likely molecule man brings out wit so like yes he's one of the most defensive pieces in the game but he's also one of the most alpha strike friendly pieces in modern yeah he's a great alpha strike support piece he also gets perplex later but uh, you probably yep. won't have that by the time you're doing your alpha strike <laughs> right yeah so yeah. that's alpha strike um and now so we've talked about balance we've talked about alpha strike this is an archetype that i have named because I don't know that it has a name um, where I think my Canadian Nationals winning team from a couple of years ago fits, which I'm calling mobile balance, which is you have taxis and you can move most of your team around, but you're not fully committed to being in your opponent's starting area. 
this is not a super common team in the history of the game, as far as I know. I can't think of many other examples. So, personally, stuff like this, I always called center control, where your goal is to be in the mid-map, and but not be tied to it. Interesting. So, I mean, your team doesn't necessarily fall into that, because it doesn't have to be. But, like, your entire goal of the team is to have, like, positional advantage at all times. Yeah, I mean, the strength of that team was that it can, for free, move, like, eight squares a turn. Like, <laughs> So, mean... like, you're, you're not committed to an, a map edge. So your your idea is to be within the center, you know, center 48 or whatever. Um, I mean, I guess this could be, like, maybe, like, a team that has Vulture, but also just has a separate game plan. Like, you send Vulture in, and then, like, you do stuff, but then you also, like, Emily's uh, last Vulture team, where she had, like, Unseen and Lockjaw, so she would send Vulture in, and then afterwards she could still use ID cards and stuff, maybe? I don't know if that is quite the same thing. Um, and to, like, to me, a, a fair comparison is, like, there's a scientist build that's not as successful as, like, the Clicks Cup one, that's, like, Team Lantern, and more of the side, like, like, four flashes, so you have more uh, sidestep with Green Lantern team ability, and it's a lot of like sidestep positional control. Yeah. While you know yo-yoing like charge flash in and out, and then resetting into like a grouped up position. Yeah, this yeah, team, you can... this type of team is a lot about positioning. You you aren't going to be like in your starting area out of range of opponents' attacks, but you need to position so that your hardest to kill characters are the ones that they can attack. It generally does much better on indoor maps than it does on outdoor maps, depending on what it's facing. Um, and uh, it also uses retaliators fairly well for the same reason that Alpha Strike tends to use retaliators fairly well, which is that it's far enough away from your starting area that your opponent can't necessarily ignore it to go to your starting area to kill your retaliators. Right. Yeah, so yeah, what what uh, PJ was talking about with multiple sidestep things with Green Lantern team ability is pretty much exactly what this is about. It's you can move for free fairly quickly, reposition all of your characters as much as possible. In order to attack, you don't have to commit as much as some other teams do. You can just make it a like the garden the double trader gardener team would make its attacks from seven or eight squares away using the Nightbringer Ring and Gardener and then sidestep back um, or using ID cards back when those were around. And uh, you just you don't commit fully, but you always can be wherever you need to be on the map to make attacks while also making it as difficult as possible for your opponent to attack you back. I guess the uh, the sidestep chain is going to be more common now that flyers can carry flyers. Yeah. Yep. Like, what, if you play even, like, just two Superman robots, you can get, like, what, six free squares? Yes. Yeah, because you can sidestep from two to four, drop in five. So you have one in seven and eight, starting in two. <laughs> just with two yeah, of them. Flyers, uh, yeah, flyers carrying flyers was a mistake. The, uh... I learned I don't know, it. I can't... I like it. <laughs> I like mobile. I like it makes mobility. Makes feel smart. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, the um, the double trader gardener team was like so ridiculous on movement because you had a space gem that you could just trade around. So 
if against opponents with objects, I could move up far enough that my collector could steal their object and sidestep back to one square outside of my starting area by trading the space gem around enough. It was absurd. I dig it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so that's what this is about, is uh, you have to have things that can make attacks without committing. You have to have things that uh, give you extra mobility and some way of being defensive. Um, with the double trader gardener, that was have fairly high defense values, a bunch of perplex and a lot of prob. Uh, some of them, if you're bringing a molecule man along or something, which is awesome right now, and you're indoors, you can just barrier up after you sidestep back. You need some yep. sort of defensive option generally. Oh, for sure. All right. Don't die. So don't die is a really interesting one. Um, it's one of the most talked about archetypes in the game. It, it, and a lot of people build it really badly. <laughs> there are a lot of people just, that I you can just, face. I'm right here. You can say that it's me. It already says in the episode that you feel personally attacked. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, Anyway, so a lot of people build Don't Die as just, I have found the five hardest to kill figures in the game, and they're all on my team, and therefore I cannot lose because nobody will kill anything. And if it were true that none of those figures were killable, so for example, like Matt Esbrook's uh, Invisible Woman team is actually kind of this, but um, they're actually not killable, <laughs> then that would maybe be the case. But most figures that are don't die in this game are just really hard to kill they're not actually anywhere near impossible to kill so if your entire team is danger room constructs and lock jaws and you're relying on none of them dying ever because you're not going to score enough points to make it up to make up for it then you're not going to win very many games yep. yeah they don't have this to be like... impossible to kill like hopefully they never print anything like haha joker again but like right. yeah if you have yeah, a 50 yeah, point yeah. character like magneto who can do damage takes five hits to kill like that's still really good still really yep. efficient or you know it and another common name for this is just point denial yeah yeah i think that's the better name because i think don't die makes people think that things actually don't die <laughs> but like i've wiped supposed don't die teams on like turn three in this game like it's possible yep it's it really just usually requires a luck factor yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a team where I had like, like eight attacks a turn or something. I, I was playing like four giant girls, so. Yeah, I mean. When you get with all those attacks, you chew through like lockjaws and stuff really quickly. But. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, like, if I was playing a team like that right now, I would consider playing High Evolutionary on it just because, like, that's still yep. two clicks that are not easy to deal with for 30 points, and he will get you points. So it's not necessarily literally can't die also because some of these figures do score points like if immortal hulk was good like he scores points during the game or haha -ha joker could score points during the game so it's not necessarily that they literally don't give up points yeah that's, that's points sort of what's up. important um unless you're playing like one man army don't die like you know the old um full point unimind or you're playing um don't die like Matt Esbrook, where you just end up with a bunch of things that are almost impossible to kill. You really need ways to score points on your team still. Yeah, I mean, what, at yeah. uh, the Silver Age Huntington's event, Adam basically, like, killed an object in one? Yeah. 
Yeah, he scored very few points against Matt Esbrook in the finals and won yeah. because Matt Esbrook didn't kill anything. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And Esbrook's team isn't, like, awful at killing stuff. It has the Wolverine, mm-hmm. who's a reasonable attacker. There are some Don't Die teams that I've seen that are even worse at killing things and give up points more easily. So, yeah, um, High Evolutionary is pretty good for Don't Die teams. The All of the stuff that's currently on robots. So, um, I think... Except for current, old Jimbo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So current robots is not like fully a don't die team, but I think it's a fair characterization of it that it's a point denial team. Absolutely. And I think that that's the more useful way of thinking about this archetype anyway. So <laughs> yeah, I think point denial is the better name for the, it's just not the more common name. Yeah. Yeah. So you should be playing a lot of things that are very hard to kill. You should still think about your positioning. You can't. Yep. Like when you're playing a point denial team, you're like a, a lot of people that I've played against and seen have had teams that are pretty hard to kill, but then they just like put them in the middle of the map with no barrier or anything. So I get to make like four free attacks or something and nothing, very few things are hard enough to kill that they can survive four free attacks from the opponent. Yeah. You um, still have to one. One major upside when you compare archetypes, so when you talk about point denial versus uh, like alpha strike, um, it's more forgiving to mistakes. Um, if you misposition or you know miss a declaration on something and your opponent decides to be a jerk, um, if you just miss a big attack that you really wanted to hit, if they hit a big attack, more often than not, you're in you're gonna be in a better position when you're playing something that's point denial um you know like like you were talking about with robots uh, more often than not i'm just like oh i missed an attack oh well you know i'm not going to die next turn (laughs) yeah and like tyler's whales was a lot like that too right where he just sort of put out attacks over the course of the game and eventually he would kill something but he sort of had 10 attacks and very few probs so yep. he wasn't expect you're not expecting to hit every attack. This is where the sort of attacks to kill metric that PJ was talking about last time and just generally understanding your defense values and stuff is a lot more important than understanding your offensive math. As a player, right. I tend not to build point denial teams. Um so I have spent a lot less time thinking about defensive math than <laughs> I have about offensive math, but if you are building a point denial team, you should really be thinking about the defensive math. And you should still think about your positioning. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Point um, denial. Before I forget, since you mentioned like being punished, I would also like as a general note, you want to think about like your team can be good, but if you think that the team requires like a hundred percent complete, a uh, completely accurate play, uh, then you should consider whether or not you can actually pull it off. Like I think last week I talked I talked about a team that Adam Friedman designed, but he realized that it was basically needing perfect play, uh, so he didn't want to play it because he didn't figure he had the stamina to like think it through properly. So if you have a good team but you don't think that you can play it like a hundred percent accurate and it falls apart, that's uh, that's a thing. Yeah, and I think that Robots is a great example of a point denial team that is fairly forgiving of mistakes. Unless you make yep. some huge mistake that gets like all of your Superman robots killed on turn one or something, <laughs> you're that probably fine. Yeah, that and, and you could still win. <laughs> yep. Um, whereas there are some point denial teams that aren't, like the ones that Matt Esbrook generally plays, and especially his current one, 
if you make a mistake with that, you're just dead. <laughs> yep. Yeah, like, those are hard to kill, just... not because they require a ton of attacks to kill, but because your opponent doesn't get to attack them. So if you make a mistake and your opponent gets to attack, then you lose. Yep. So don't think that just because you are playing a point denial team means that you have more license to build mistakes. Think about the particular team as well. Right. All right, so sort of a um, definitely a subcategory of Don't Die is uh, one-man army. Um, because if you're playing a one-man army and it dies, you lose the game. <laughs> yep. This is more accurately named Don't Die, but it's a command, not a description. Um, so one-man army has been good in the past. It's currently not. <laughs> yeah, there uh, isn't a good one. closer to just while. non-existent. Like, I don't think anything yep, exists. That is a full build that's actually viable. Like, like the closest is like Omega, now. probably. And it's left over, so it's not one man. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we've had one since Uni, and before yeah. that, I don't think it was since Goblin the, League. what, the, well, yeah, Gobby, and then before that, Superman, the BVS soups. Yeah, like, yeah, base, yeah, big Superman, Superman with the yellow power battery. Yeah, yeah that sort of thing. Was I guess team so. base is kind of, but like, yeah, pretty much. It's it's team base is not always a so not fully. I mean, it's not bad for it not to be a thing because it can definitely be a negative play experience. Yeah, there. one Night army is really interesting as a as a play experience um, because it can be just incredibly frustrating to play against. Uh, but it's also like one of the cheapest ways to build a team. So if you yeah. are like a new player who doesn't want to spend any money and doesn't know anybody to borrow from yet. Although, if you are a new player who doesn't have figures and wants to play in an event, post on HeroClick's Mooching House, the yeah. group that PJ made. Get people to lend you things. People love lending things. Nobody plays all of the HeroClicks that they own in an event when they own most of Modern. So you'll, <laughs> it'll, it should be pretty easy for you to find pieces that you need for any event. Unless it's stuff that is on everybody's sideline, like trouble alerts, then... You're Those are the hardest it. things for people to find to borrow. They but, absolutely are. <laughs> you know, it, but at the same time, they're also the less least amount of like necessary for a build. Yeah. Um, so that I guess that's sort of an interesting discussion is how necessary they are. If you're playing one man army, then you shouldn't care how many troublers you have on your side. Right. <laughs> maybe have maybe have one of each yeah. just in case you crit miss or crit hit. Exactly. But you're never making three attacks. Barring and also you're a point denial team, does. so right. bringing them in can be bad for you. <laughs> right. Right, unless it's like a Black Vulcan that can get that many points. Guaranteed. Or you already have 30, right? If you already have 30 points, okay, sure, I'll make this Black Vulcan. Yeah, but because if I die, I lose anyway, so why not? <laughs> yep. Yeah, whereas Alpha Strike, you should absolutely have them. Like, you're yep. making so many attacks a turn that if you don't have trouble alerts on your sideline, that's actually a not insignificant percentage of the potential damage output of your team that you're giving up. Right. Yeah, I mean, especially these days where you have penetrating poison or you have characters that have a one in three chance to do a penetrating sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the trouble alerts are really good right now. Do good. <laughs> yeah, so don't really try to play one-man army right now. I don't even know what figures are high enough points to play as one-man armies right now. I don't think there are. Not Like, what, the common Superman? Yeah. I th I feel I like one of Apocalypse's lines, I mean, some lines, retails, maybe. but I can't think of any that are actually yeah. good to do it. Anyway, there are very few. Um, I mean, also, these days especially, it will auto-lose to barriers, so, you know. Yeah, yep. that's, yeah, that is actually a very interesting thing to discuss about one-man army. Is Oh, God, Doom, at 300. That's probably one. That's true. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's some 200-point ones like Darkseid, especially because he can attack across the map. But, but when, I, when I talk OMA, it's 250-plus. Yeah, yeah, for but, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, actually, those are more tent pole, which is probably yeah, I think, something that I should have here and don't. So let's write that down. Oh, I thought uh, <laughs> Whoops. Oh, no, it's fine. I just didn't write it. Yeah, tent pole is a little bit different because you do have support figures. It's a little bit less point denially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. But one-man armies are just really interesting because they're weird. Oh, I guess uh, Chase Black Panther. Yeah, he. Yeah, I was about to say he was never was... a great one-man army, but he he was very frustrating to play against. Still, I, I'm I'm personally I prefer there not being good one-man armies because I, I really dislike facing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think they're just I think that they talking in a more like general meta sense about HeroClix as a community and as a game. I think that they cause more frustration to players playing against them than the benefits of new players having an easy thing to play. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, Tim well, also accomplished the easy thing to play. Yeah. Without being well, also, quite as ridiculously frustrating. Now that zero zero losses are uh, zero zero games are double losses, like you can't even like punish them by making them go to a roll off, like and having to make them like go for a fifty percent loss. So yeah, barrier versus yeah. one man army is just like a miserable matchup when your barrier team doesn't have enough attackers to get through the one man army because it just ends up in like. A complete stalemate where you're almost guaranteed a zero zero loss. Yep. And that yeah. sucks. You're making you like you you bring down your barrier and make an attack or two every turn, but you're just like it's almost impossible for you to get through it. So oh well. Or yes, if you're playing yes, a mirror against another one man army or whatever, then you're Yeah, really... that can be incredibly frustrating too. <laughs> well that was a thing when um the Rock had like the four hundred point semi final, whatever. And it was like the discussion was like, well, I remember Tom was talking about like, well, do you actually play full point Unimind? Because if you have the mirror match, there's no way you're ever gonna both like get through each other. So you just may as well not, because that can actually just be a risk. And I'm pretty sure that actually ended up happening. Because there were a fair amount of them. Yeah, so. there were um there are some one man armies that aren't like impossible to kill by the by itself like goblin king was totally killable by a goblin king but um unimind especially was just nobody is dying in a unimind versus unimind mirror right all right so the next one is barrier um which i've put that it doesn't necessarily literally need barrier but it pretty much does there are very few things that so, like, the reason I said that is because of things like Molecule Man, which aren't technically literally barrier. <laughs> but they're, it's it's as close to barrier. You do need something that modifies terrain in some way. Um, it, I don't know that it's possible to make a team that can't be attacked without something that modifies terrain. Unless you count the Invisible Women as a barrier team, which I, I don't think really works. No, I don't think so. Yeah, we had, what was it? We had the uh, Unimind... Uh, and then invisible jet terrain teams, where if you didn't have the right team, you could literally never get them because of how they would position. That's true. Yep. So. If they won man. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so definitely one interesting thing to talk about with barrier is winning map. Um, if you don't have any giants and nobody else is playing any giants and you have a lot of barrier, then being on an outdoor map can be fine for barrier teams. But for the most part, 
you're going to need to be inside because you want multiple layers of barrier ideally you want um the ability to prevent your opponent's colossals from shooting you so being outside and in like more open terrain is really not ideal for this team which means that you generally need a quite high theme to make it work yeah i think maybe a more adequate name for this might be turtle yeah because <laughs> you're just in your starting area <laughs> yeah you're just you're just turtling like you don't necessarily need to be in your starting area but not necessarily but you're you're you are it's generally hard to both them move and barrier in in a turn right which you is were why trying they to make generally them... stay in their starting area yeah, like like sidestep creep is about all you get. You're not moving mid map. Like you are, you're creep. Like that, you're moving slowly. You know what I mean? Like that's why it's turtle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you're you're basically sitting down and expecting your opponent to have to overthink to solve the puzzle while you're doing what you're doing every round. So you're forcing your opponent to play in an uncomfortable situation, hoping that they make a mistake, and then capitalizing. Yeah, so sort of like when talking about don't die. Um, barrier teams generally do actually need some way to kill something. Yep. I think, so, historically one of my favorite examples of this was the uh, Super Friends list that top hated worlds that one time. Yeah. That was one of my favorites, because it had a bunch of barrier, so you couldn't attack it, and then it had, uh, what's his name, Apache Chief? Yeah, yeah, and it had Flash as well. Yeah. But, yeah, so Flash, who could go out and attack and trade up, potentially, and Apache Chief, who just eventually quaked the entire map. So yep. eventually you could kill something, even if you couldn't for most of the game. If your opponent couldn't get through your barrier, then you were just going to get enough turns that your Apache Chief could quake the entire map. Absolutely. So that was a really interesting way to do it. But thankfully, we don't have characters that can attack across the map anymore. Like, no GSX no, Professor zero. X, no Iron Fist. Like, no, like no, no Batman, Batman Prime. Scarab. Um. Well, well, now at least we have tools for them, right? Like it's not like before. To be fair to Batman Prime on these teams, um, the type of terrain that Batman Prime prefers and the type of team terrain that barrier teams prefer are quite different. Yeah, I guess I should clarify. Barrier teams on WWE arena are fine. Yeah, it's doable for sure. I should clarify the, the ones from before were it was harder to interact with. Because, yeah. like, Iron Pharaoh had, like, all the approved targeting or some of the characters that draw lo- drew line of fire through other characters. Whereas, like, Scarab, you can deal with objects. Yeah. Or Batman, you can Yeah, get Scarab is one of the... is definitely a lot easier to get rid of his lines of fire than some of the... Uh, right. And now, like, we have Bishop and we have, like, tools before. It was, like, like Iron Pharaoh won a Worlds sort of thing, so... Yeah, so the other way that you can approach offense on your barrier teams is basically cheaper figures that can trade up that you don't worry about barriering. So right now, a great example of that is Flash, where you send him across the map and kill more than 30 points, and then your opponent kills him, and then you barrier for the rest of the game. Well, and alternatively, you can, where I was talking about how you're creeping, he can always attack somewhere and return to where he started from. Yep. So even on, if... Um... Like, even if you're just attacking to not kill something, and you're able to adequately protect him when he gets back, that's fine. Yeah. On on negative zone, you could have him charge and KO an object, and then be, like, one square out of your starting area, I think. 
that's what no one. And that could just be a win condition if you have enough barrier. Uh, I think I had a team where I could make, depending on what Molecule Man rolled, I could make like at least. I was generally making seven between Molecule Man and other barrier or whatever. So, yeah. Child's play compared to those pre nerf Proteus teams. Shit. Sure. Uh, those things are so miserable. I'm so glad they fixed it before it was relevant. Me too. <laughs> just like 25 squares of area. Let's just make a two square thick row of area across the entire map. That seems fine, right? Yeah, I don't see any downside to that. No. Yeah, so that's another option. Um, yeah, so that's, the, so that's the third option, which flashes both a figure that can go trade up or a mobile figure that can go make attacks and make it back enough that you can still bury it. Um, right now, as far as barrier goes, you are in a slight amount of trouble if it's your main, if it's your only plan, because Molecule Man exists, which is weird to say, considering that it's also great because Molecule Man exists. <laughs> yeah, but it just removes barrier, so your opponent, get, your opponents get to make attacks anyway. Yeah, so um, the next one is uh, Swarm, which is in, in an interesting place right now. So Swarm is when you play as many cheap, efficient figures as you can to try to um, out-action your opponents, basically. Uh, and that is an in, in an interesting place right now because kind of every team is Swarm <laughs> to a certain extent. Just enough figures are getting played that you're very rarely not taking actions. And also, now that pushing damage is gone, out-actioning happens a lot less frequently. Right. So it's interesting. It, Swarm kind of isn't in comparison to anything now. It used to be like, this is Swarm and this is Tentpole, and they have one character that can make attacks, and I have eight. But right now, it's really, everybody has five characters that can make attacks, at least. So... Sort yeah, of yeah I mean, characters are cheap enough now where I managed to have a team that had a 75-point figure, but also got to plus 10, because <laughs> everything else was 30, 20, 15, or 10, so, yeah. I mean, you could probably play a team of 10 30-point figures, and it's probably reasonable. Uh, 10 high evolutionaries is absolutely a reasonable team. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, high evolutionaries and flashes, even like yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, four flashes and six high U-boats, I guess, is okay. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Really, Oh, sorry, you. If you're playing six flashes, that means you have room for another high U-boat. <laughs> you can play six flashes and five high U-boats. There you go. How does it compare yeah. to the actual scientist team that people are playing? It might be better. I don't if know. People could, if people could <laughs> find enough flashes and high U-boats, would it be better? <laughs> it very well, maybe. You'd probably want to Molecule Man on there, too. Fair. Yeah, I mean, also, like, a TK Flash probably helps, but yeah, like, pretty much. You could just play... Yeah, how about, yeah, you could play... I mean, you could also... You could also just play a team of 30 or points or under, and uh, you're probably fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, so right now, kind of, the direction that WizKids has been going is making lower-point characters a lot more efficient. 
it used to be that if anything was below like 50 points, you just could sort of write it off as anything but like maybe a perplex or prob because they just weren't going to give it reasonable stats of any kind. But that is no longer the case. So it turns out that when you make low point figures hyper efficient, swarm teams are really good. Yep. How many figures do you figure uh, a team needs to be classified as a swarm? Um, I say s- seven, or you can utilize your whole ma- your whole uh, action total every turn. That's fair. It takes seven, it takes seven characters to do that. So that's a yeah, fair point. Th- yeah. So I think seven is a reasonable um, point to consider, but also I think it requires that a significant portion of those can make attacks. I don't think that a team that's like you know two attackers and five support pieces can possibly qualify as swarm. Like you have to be yeah, making correct. useful use of all of your actions, not just theoretically I could move things, I guess. Right. I agree with that. Yeah, so when you're building a swarm, um, you need to really think about your math. So swarm was unplayable for a while because of Vulture. Um, and if Vulture was still around, then the current meta would probably look quite different. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, which he obviously doesn't, but... Yeah, I mean, what, flashes can get one shot by him? Uh, like, that alone is a problem. Like, I mean, if he has the arms, yeah. literally everything on the scientist team can die to him, right? Yeah, he would, uh, yeah I would absolutely not unplay that team if he existed, uh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. So fortunately now that, so fortunately he's gone. So you can now build swarm teams again. Um, and what you're looking for is like reasonable stats and support powers to make your stats a little bit better. Um, you need leadership, like, all of these teams need leadership, but if you're playing a swarm team and you didn't put leadership on it, go back and put leadership on it. I think, well, and I think to that point, you need more than one. Yeah, backup leadership. That's a great point, actually. Yeah, that's yeah, the one I team mean, that if you're going to have extra leadership, that's where you want it. Because, yeah, yeah, if you bring, if you're playing nine figures and you bring one leadership and your opponent kills it, then you, you're just so hamstrung for the rest of the game. <laughs> Yeah, there's, I mean, there's literally no reason the team should not have leadership because there's uh, at least one leadership that doesn't break theme. Not that he's necessarily good, but, like, there's not... Also, like, like all of the good excuse. figures have leadership right now, so... Yeah, like, <laughs> if you play two flashes, it's, like, turn one, you can set it out, and then you have you still have all your actions, and, like, if you want, you can keep it back. Yeah, just... Yeah. Yeah, if you've built a swarm team where a flash is your only leadership and you're frequently throwing it across the map on turn one to make attacks, then uh, fix that. Because <laughs> yeah, you're going to be horribly at a disadvantage for the rest of the game. What's the cheapest leadership now? Is it the 20-point AO? There's that. Well, uh, like, Ali and Ranger is a 20-point leadership that actually does that. I forgot you had leadership. And I think there's another one that just recently came out. Yeah, I think, uh, well, Prime High Evolutionary on lower, I think. Yeah, Ooh, that's it. He has traded, right? Yep. Yeah, I think, yeah, Commissioner's only 25. Yeah, There's pretty much one for every. If you're non-themed, he's on every swarm team, right? Like, yep. I mean, if you're unthemed, Commissioner might be on every team. <laughs> Not quite. Pretty much. I, I didn't play him, but he was on my sideline, so I guess Yeah. Yeah, if you're not Alpha Strike, then... 
And yeah. you can't play him both on your team and on your sideline. Right, that's what I meant. Like, he wasn't on my team, but I did have him. Do you think if you could have played him on both your team and your sideline, you would have? Mm. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. It technically the, the makes the rookies that Wingard generates a little better, but I don't know if it's worth it since he doesn't do much else for the Alpha Strike plan yeah. of that team. Anyway, uh, yeah, mean, so Swarm is about play a lot of cheap, efficient threats, not just figures. If you're playing 10 cheap, efficient support pieces, you're not going to do well. Um, make sure that your numbers are still reasonable. Make sure that your opponent can't just kill all of your figures in one. And to that point, if your opponent has like energy explosion or pulse wave, then play around it. Because if you get your entire swarm team energy exploded, that's generally a very bad thing. Yep. Like we've been talking a lot about how building your team well doesn't mean you don't have to care about positioning. (laughs) And that just remains true about literally everything. If you think that because you built a great team, it means that you just don't have to pay that much attention and figure out where you're putting your figures. You're wrong. <laughs> you still definitely need to pay attention and figure out. I think that's why we're going to do a tactics episode, which I forgot is. about. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll be talking about how to figure out where to place your figures and um, tips and tricks about uh, actual gameplay stuff in a later episode. But for now, you generally know what we mean when we say position well, especially when we talk about specifically against energy explosion. Just don't put a bunch of things beside and, you. And I, I always tell people, don't be dumb. And then they, they get insulted. But I'm like, no. If you look at yourself and they're about to do something and you go, well, that was dumb. <laughs> That's what I mean by don't be dumb. If you know that you're about to call yourself stupid, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting talking about an archetype when it's like 70% of teams and just sort of how teams are built at the moment. Yeah, I mean, what top four of the Quicks Cup? I don't think anyone had less than nine figures. No, uh, that's like there really are some bad. that I wouldn't necessarily qualify as Swarm still. Right, but I'm just like if you're just talking yeah, about yeah, they all had a ton of figures. Yeah, you were either yeah, it was plus nine at the lowest for initiative, or you had Scott with a swarming team. How many team? How many figures did Scott have? Because he had a seventy-five point. I I, I can't remember. I didn't. Don't have it. Did, did he, he? Oh, did he have Jason? Yeah, I think he played Jason. I don't, I'm not 100 percent confident on that. Maybe he didn't. I don't think. I might be thinking of someone else's. Then. That was Isaac. I know Isaac. I'm probably thinking of Isaac's. Yeah. So right, Scott's but even then, like, like, Leland, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I even then, you had up. what? You had two, uh, out of a top four, you had two plus nines and one plus ten. Like that's still that's pretty major. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so well, this it's is funny uh, because where we like Scott would say. If all the themes are that high and you can't get there anyway, don't bother. And, like, that's kind of true. Like, (laughs) I don't think... I mean, obviously you get theme probs now, but, like, I wouldn't feel comfortable with my odds of winning map with less than, like... You definitely shouldn't be relying on map choice if you have less than... No, but, like, if I was, like, really wanting to go for map, I would assume that, like, teams are going to be at least plus seven. So that's why I've been liking to go plus ten, because it's not that hard, because... They keep on putting 10-point figures, so... Yep. Reasonable 10-point figures. With <laughs> lots of keywords. <laughs> yes. Yeah, as many keywords as they can fit. <laughs> They're like, oh, this multiple man? He needs 11 keywords. 
gotta gotta make sure to put a bunch of generic keywords on there not that that's technically a thing anymore but just generally more figures have generic keywords all right so um another archetype that i've always talked about which i don't know whether this is a name for it that other people use but uh i like to call it retaliator abuse um which basically i consider like pretty much any team that tyler spee's made other than animals in the past x years retaliator abuse um yeah. i consider all of my Surtur's primary attacker teams retaliator abuse basically the idea of this team is you have these figures that can appear anywhere on the map and make more powerful attacks than most figures that you actually had to position so you want to make sure that they can retaliate as frequently as possible deal as much damage as possible when they do and not die before they do yep They're... and i think it takes like playing like playing a team that just has two retaliators is not retaliator like no, exactly. you're playing four in my opinion <laughs> is three or four yeah so you're either playing four or you have two a lot of ways to protect them and a lot of ways to make sure they retaliate. Right. Like, like it's I not think, necessarily number of retaliators that's the idea. Which I, team? I think uh, the, the where, Double Dark one? Phoenix. It, no, the, the Double Dark Phoenix, but with Liberian Village and High Theme. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think I mean, to be fair, I, I, I did. I, as far as I know, I stole Dark Phoenix with Mastermind from Tyler. But yeah, so yeah, you move on Liberian yep, Village, you move was, Dark Phoenix all the way exam. up. Yes, you move Dark Phoenix yeah, all the way up, and then you have the, yeah, uh, the Mastermind Fodder from the the Pogs that have immunity. Uh, you can shoot in their, in their starting area, so then you're either going to kill stuff and she starts healing and she gets out of control, or they deal with her, and then they get retaled. And then you have backup. Uh, and or you move up some of the villagers to take their objects. So, yeah, by yeah. turn two, you're scoring points, and then if they want to do anything, they're getting retaled, so... Yeah, and Tyler Spees did win a tournament with that uh, at the um, Chicago tournament that they ran online earlier in the year with three Dark Phoenixes. Um, yeah, so that's actually a very good, fairly recent example of a retaliator abuse team where it's your entire game plan is centered around your retaliators. If you, like PJ said, if you have two retaliators that sometimes win you the game because your opponent attacked things when they probably shouldn't have then that's not necessarily retaliator abuse it's when when you sit down to play your main goal is all right i'm going to get my retaliators to attack at some point yeah yeah like tyler, like whales when tyler forced you to either deal with the whales or the, all the retail which is uh pretty devastating considering they were yeah. the all the most broken ones so yeah and i stole that idea from tyler and that's where my sort of primary attacker builds came from um was i looked at whales and understood like when you first looked at whales when i first looked at whales because i wasn't as good when that team started uh being played i was like i have no idea what any of these figures are doing on this team <laughs> I, I don't understand what's happening I, these whales look bad they're 50 points that just don't really attack but and they don't really like they can attack, but it's not like hugely devastating. But the thing about that team is that you can't totally ignore them. And at the time, that was also the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah, that's the weird part. Like you yeah, can't, but you have to. Yeah, when I when I, the one time I played against his whales the year 
afterwards um, at Worlds 2019, which was a slightly different team, but largely similar. I ignored his whales and went straight for his retaliators and then missed and didn't kill Surtur and cried. <laughs> and then it's over. I killed the carnages and I was like, okay, I, I don't actually care about killing the carnages. <laughs> That's not what right. I <laughs> Yeah, so there are a couple ways. So that, that brings us one interesting thing about retaliator abuse is how are you keeping your retaliators alive? Um, there are a couple ways that you can do it. You can barrier them in, uh, which relies on you being inside. Obviously, barrier in when you're barriering colossals in when you're outside is not a particularly effective strategy. Or the way that I saw Tyler do it initially with the carnages and stuff, and the way that I decided to do it with my um, Surtur teams was body block them with less important colossals. Yep. Yeah. Or now it's you're going to have X Men teams with Dark Phoenixes and, and Bishop, or if they don't care about Bishop in that matchup, you just uh, don't use them. So. Yeah, Bishop, give out Mastermind from Latvian Village, like we were talking about. Um, back when Tony Stark's car was around, I used to put that on teams and just like stick a couple of surters next to it. And it's like, okay, well, you can theoretically kill them, but they have 20 defense. So you're going to have some amount of trouble killing two in the same turn, unless you have a lot of perplexes. Hope that that's good enough. Um, I mean, also WWE ring is only five points. Yeah, WWE ring. There are ways to, like, one of the better ways of doing it is put separation between the majority of your team and your colossals um, so that if your opponent tries to kill your colossals, they sort of have to run past the majority of your team, which you can hopefully prevent. So that's why colossals are quite good on alpha strike teams and on other teams like whales that just sort of put distance separation between them and are slightly less good on teams where everything tends to stay near your starting area. Although, yeah, doesn't Danger Magneto have, have the math to kill two retaliators on the opposite side of the map? Yep, sure does. Yeah, yeah Danger so. Magneto is definitely one of the better figures at killing them, which is why um, blocking line of fire to them is the most eff- effective way. Yeah. I even <laughs> considered why playing Reality it. Gym for a long time on him. So <laughs> so three retaliators. <laughs> yep, that's why he's really good on the, on the Don't Die teams. If you get two Dark Phoenixes, there you go. Yep. That, that, that means he immediately scores more points than what he's worth. Yep. That they have to commit five attacks to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the so now that you have built your retaliator abuse team with the retaliator that you want to abuse, which generally you should have one or two of the retaliators that are on your team that you're focusing on being the one that makes attacks. In my case and Tyler's case, it was mostly Surter. Um, nowadays, it's usually Dark Phoenix, but uh, I assume Falcon would be totally viable. Yep. For this kind of team. I think he he's just a better long enough. <laughs> Sorry, who? So the problem with the, the you, problem you with Falcon, Falcon. Yeah, the problem with Falcon versus Surter is just that it's harder to increase damage values now, but not impossible. <laughs> but yeah, I mean I totally agree. It, like when he was spoiled, I was just like, why did they make Surter again? <laughs> with extra support powers. <laughs> what? Yeah, I think he's just a better Surter. Like as I, I, let me rephrase that. I don't think he's necessarily better than Surter, but I think he's better to be on a team than Surter. Yeah. Yeah, like the one penetrating damage when Surter retaliates was pretty big. But, uh... Right. He, I just think he's a different kind so of much. Yeah. yeah, he actually does Wilson stuff. is like a great support piece that... Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that also kills stuff. Right. Yeah, I mean, at <laughs> the very... At the very least, on your Justice League team of Flash, he gives you wildcardable Batman. Like, that's... That's the least of it, right? Like, 
I, I yeah. think we'll see Justice League teams popping up soon once more people have these in hand that are just like Batman flashes a couple of Abominus um, and maybe like a Adam, like like a full Alpha plus Batman plus Abominus. So it's like a combination of all this crap <laughs> that we've been talking about. It's like yeah. several. And that's, in the you world. know what a great way to protect your retaliators is? Have them have stealth. Yep. <laughs> I just yeah, and what you could. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you do still not... kind of have to win map so that you have a place to put a retaliator in stealth, but not that hard. Yeah. Do they have free smoke that's not another prime? Um, Molecule Man? I mean, not on. No, I meant Justice League specifically. No, I don't think so. Just yeah, so the other, the other retaliator abuse team that we've seen recently is one that PJ helped pioneer the um, Justice League Giganta Wonder Woman team. Yeah. <laughs> which absolutely qualifies. <laughs> that has the best way of getting your retaliator to be able to retaliate that I've ever seen. It's like, yeah. <laughs> my primary attacker attacks. Okay, great. If they weren't doing that, you were probably losing the game anyway. So. <laughs> well, not right. even that. You're, you, can, you can move up and you have a free attack. And yeah. then you set it up. Like yeah, sorry. My primary, my primary attacker with a free attack after I carry them across the map attacks. <laughs> with two free attacks. Like... That, that, that also gives you minus two defense, but yeah, sure. yeah. why not? <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that's, that's the other thing. Sorry. No, I'm just saying that team definitely falls under <laughs> retaliator abuse. Yeah. So that and Alpha Strike, but again, yeah. we've talked about how those can sometimes be fairly um, a, a combo of each other. Uh, so the other thing to talk about is basically how you're getting your retaliators to be able to attack. So one way of getting them to attack is just defend them well enough and eventually your opponent has to attack something else. Another way is have them have a trait that says that when you attack as a primary attacker, they get to retaliate. <laughs> right. <laughs> For some reason. Yeah. If you and, also, even that, with, and also, not to mention that with Giganta, it's not even if they damage, it's if they attack. So they can miss. Right. It doesn't even have to hit, yeah. yeah. Yep. Like... So there, there have been a couple of other ways to do it historically, um, which one of them is still in modern, so it's worth mentioning. You play Kobik and anything with Mystics, and then you swap Mystics onto something, you attack it with your primary attacker, and then you get to retaliate because they dealt damage. Um, a couple of people tried to do that to make that team really good when it was first released. I think Isaac played it, right? Yeah, Isaac top forward Nats with it. And, yeah, uh, I think he did. I thought he did really well. I yeah. want to win a map with it. Does that count? Nice. Yeah, I considered playing play it, it at. I think Nate top aided Worlds with it in 2019. That's possible. I don't remember. Or no, sorry, Pat Pat Frazier, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember. Anyway, so that so that's definitely one way to do it. And while you're thinking about that, if your opponent just happens to have Mystics and you have a Retaliator on your team, congratulations. <laughs> now yeah. you can retaliate. I. Uh, I really want them to get rid of Retaliators because I want Strife to be worth playing. It's really interesting yeah. how Mystics can just be a complete downside. Like, it's such an independently powerful effect until you realize that Retaliators are really good and it's just a complete ridiculous downside against them. Yeah, it's it's kind of silly that it's actively... I mean, it also kills them after dead. they retaliate, but, like, you're not playing Retaliators because you want them to survive after they retaliate. Right. Um, or... Or you have Dark Phoenix, where if she kills stuff, she evens out that damage. Because yeah. why? Well, <laughs> Dark Phoenix is silly for entirely separate reasons. 
Um, yeah, so the last and most common way that doesn't require specific combos to allow your retaliators to retaliate is put something in your opponent's face that deals enough damage that they can't ignore it and have to attack it. Um, and when ID cards were around, that needed to be something that they couldn't ignore that also couldn't die to an ID card, because if it was something that died to an ID card, they would just use that to kill it and then poof the ID card and then now you can't retaliate anyway because the thing that dealt damage is gone. Um, but now that those are gone, that matters a lot less. It's mostly about make sure that it's something that they can't just leave there that is in their face. So that, and your your retaliators still have to be protected when you do this so that they can't just go past it and kill your retaliator and then kill it. Um, but the, the examples, the main examples of that are Tyler's whales and um, my Surtur's primary attacker team that I won New York States with, which was the Earth-X Daredevil, who I maintain is not a great point denial piece because he actually dies more quickly than people think he does, um, but is very good at being a fairly high damage hypersonic piece that your opponent can't kill with, with one call in. <laughs> so both of those were types of figures that the opponent couldn't kill easily and were very hard to just ignore because they had quite a lot of movement and attacked for a fair amount of damage. And once you have that, your opponent is forced to try to deal with them and you get to retaliate with whatever your main retaliator is. Yeah, what, even if, like, even if they did somehow manage to kill Daredevil, they'd basically need to commit a whole turn and roll sixes every time. Yeah. Like, they would need to roll a crit, roll an attack with a six, and then KO him again. So, and that's and it's fine if they kill him, too. Like, he doesn't yes, have to also alive that. for you to retaliate. <laughs> yeah. They just have to not kill him with a call-in, which was right, right. pretty much with only a call-in. Yeah, he's definitely not a, not a don't-die figure when uh, you have an inherent probability feel that means you always get crit. Like, I played him in a casual game, and he got back-to-back crit hit. It's like, oh, okay, I guess. In New York States, where I eventually won with him on my team, he got crit by a Starfight to lose all of his tokens. Wow. And then I did that to Jay the next tournament. Just Yeah, Devin, Devin, uh, yeah, Devin has beaten me playing Daredevil, or when I was playing Daredevil on Bad Don't Die, and he's beaten me with uh, Daredevil, and I was playing Sitter Don't Die, so... I've yeah. had Daredevil die so many times to crit hit. It is literally the most defeating thing. Yeah. It, it's I, it, it's almost like he has a trait that he... Mind. Yeah, it's like almost an inherent thing that he, like, affects loss probability. I don't I don't know how it happens, but... If you play Daredevil, your opponent will roll one set of double sixes yep. when targeting. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, now, so... Yeah, the, the main two elements of a retaliator abuse team are that you uh, can protect your retaliators and make sure that they get to retaliate. Um, and the rest yeah, you of your also... team generally should be full of threats of some kind. Like, you're not killing people with just retaliators generally, just enough of their team to give the rest of your team an advantage. Yeah. You also, this is like more like obscure, but like you probably want to make sure that you don't, like, lose and not get to retaliate against certain things. Like, characters that can, like, maggots can poison you and then go off the map. Or uh, Jason Wingard call, can call in a molecule man, and then he'll yeah. auto-die. Like, you just move Jason up, 
and then kill Phoenix, and then Mocky Man just dies because of his trait, where he dies if he's not in the starting area. So. Or just, yeah, the, all of that, and you're facing Harry Leland. Yeah. Do you lose? <laughs> Make sure that, like, retaliator, retaliating is your primary game plan, but you do have to be able to do other things as well. Can Falcom attack smaller characters, or did they bring back... Uh, I think he has indifference. Colossal indifference. Well, he was also presumably, wasn't he supposed to be a 2020 con? So Yeah, I'll pull him up real quick now that I'm actually on my computer instead of on my phone. No, he does. Yeah, I just found it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so my... The um, the Surterer's primary attacker team is definitely more retaliator abuse than you can afford to do most of the time, because most retaliators can't do a second equally devastating attack after their first one on a smaller character, but I was making him normal-sized with Wasp Heart of the Avengers, <laughs> because it was fun, mostly. Um, but, like, if you're trying to retaliate or abuse with Falcom or something, then you're going to have to rethink that and figure out how to make do with only your one attack that ignores all of your opponent's powers. I just realized looking at him that he, that Fulcum also just has precision strike. Yep. Wow. Yeah. He's a figure. Wow. You get to wild card stealth with your entire team. If you have wild cards, you get, or to yeah, I played against Josafa playing like unthemed good yeah. stuff. And he had, yeah, flashes with stealth and Molecule Man were really annoying. So, yeah. Molecule Man's a wild card? No, 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 no for, for the free smoke. Ah, got it. Yeah. Molecule Man already I mean, has stealth, doesn't he? he? Also, yeah, he also just has stealth and <laughs> Got it. So, I remember yeah. what Molecule Man's dial looks like. Yeah. All right, so... Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save the one that's listed next for last, because I think PJ and I will have an interesting discussion about it, which is combo. Um, but let's talk about the last few uh, other archetypes before we talk about that. Uh, so there's control slash if you come from a magic background, uh, or I mean, I started playing magic after I played HeroClix, so I'm not sure I can call it a background. But if you're a magic player, hate bears is another common name for it in that game. Um, this is an interesting one. It's been a little bit of a niche archetype. Frequently ends up crossing over with Barrier in some way. I've looked at it a bunch of times when, like, Mr. Oz first came out. I tried to figure out how many um, effects that made my opponent's stuff worse there were and play all of them, but uh didn't really work out. I want to win a map with that. I actually called the team Hate Bears. Nice. <laughs> What did you play other than Oz? Um, Citizen Steel. I thought that's the team you were referencing. Yeah. God, I can't even remember half of the stuff that was on that team. Wasn't it? Yeah. And then Darwin in the boxing ring. Yes. Yeah. So it's interesting because you can actually do a lot the same thing with um, Oz and Harry Leland now. Mm-hmm. Did Did Scott's team have Oz as well, or just Leland out of those two? I don't, I don't remember him having Oz. I don't either. But I'll go with all or talking. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, the idea of this team is basically make it so that your opponents can do as little as possible. Um, and that obviously also describes like barrier teams, but these are generally, you're not, the, the disadvantage of barrier teams usually is that you lose basically all of your potential mobility and everything. Um, and the idea with hate bears is that you can still, make attacks like a normal team while 
making your opponent's team as bad at things as possible. Other things that technically were hate bears over the years were like the Thanos copter and in infinity. Um, the problem with the Thanos copter being that it was most of your build <laughs> because there was never a low point Thanos yeah. to put in it. I feel like there's other um, stuff that I'm forgetting. Elijah I mean, obviously Snow. Faust. Faust yeah, just said you true. couldn't play the game. Yeah. You might yeah. also. Well, Faust is definitely in. the most effective one of all time. Yeah. yeah. Literally said your opponent couldn't play the game. Elijah yeah. Snow was a very fun piece. Unfortunately, pretty easy to kill. So hard to play. But uh, fun. So what was that last one? Elijah Snow. Yes. Prevented your opponents from walking in specific ways. That was always fun. <laughs> I love yeah. that. I mean,. Or yeah. you could have been me and playing Danny the Street. Mm-hmm. Was Danny the Street ever tournament legal? For uh, only for The Rock, because The Rock didn't follow the list at some point. Well, um, if you were if you were um, playing with Danny the Street legal, very good. Hey, bear piece. Yeah. Um, Can prevent. I mean, you're gonna see walking up ladders sometimes, like. Yeah, I guess Secret Six kind of apply. I mean, they they have the you can't use protective effect, which is pretty important. Um, Prime uh, Nightwing Night. Uh, what's it, what was it called? Nighthawk. Nighthawk. Yeah, Nighthawk Prime. Yeah, like oh, yeah, stuff that says like, your opponent can't is uh, a lot of that. Yeah. Do you think that there's an at all viable build of this in modern PJ? I mean, mm-hmm. every X Men team and every Hellfire Club team has like. I, you get yeah. elements of it, but I don't think yeah, a I'm just dedicated one. No, not like... Um, I mean, if you want to play Harry Leland and Bishop together, that's like... That'd be, you know, that'd be pretty big. Yeah, I like... I'm playing Harry Leland on Hellfire, because why wouldn't I? Right, exactly. It's just... You have, you have, you have 75-point Emma on theme with Harry, so it's not like you can't do it. Yeah, it's... Well, the good part about that is that you don't have to commit to it. Like... Harry Leland can just be useless in certain matchups, but just, like, you know, being able to sideline him or whatever is uh, yep. pretty good. And you're gone. <laughs> yeah, See, if, you, if have... you have Emma and you put Harry Leland in front of all your other pieces, then they can't attack without getting his minus, right? Other than placing something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Black Widow was a big one, just because, like, shutting down Prob was, like, really oh, a thing. Yeah. I forgot I was, she did that. <laughs> and also, like, the power, uh, getting rid of powers. I mean, there's also just certain characters that just get rid of, like, a power. Like, Ace getting rid of Prob is a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ace was definitely a piece that I considered on this type of team when she yep. was released. Yep. She didn't end up being that good. Uh... She's, fine. she's fine. I mean, she's almost unplayable right now because of how good theme team Prob Everything's are. a theme, yeah. <laughs> like... Um, but I think yeah, if I mean, there's also just like maybe. pieces that could punish your opponent, like in like certain ways, like Tri-Sentinel can like just make a whole map kind of like a problem. Like if you can't move next to, uh, uh, blocking, that's like kind of a problem. Yeah. Not quite the same. I guess Invisible Woman sort of, where you just like, if you can't attack them. Yeah, so this one's interesting. I'm not sure that there's currently a viable build of it or has frequently been a viable build of it, um, but it's something to keep an eye on if WizKids continues to release pieces that, like Harry Leland that are good at multiple things while also shutting down one specific thing, um, whether, they, whether it's possible to uh, put enough of those effects together to 
make it so that your opponent has a very hard time acting. Oh, that's the other one I was thinking of. The um, the Injustice League is it trait that like Ultra Humanite has? Yeah. Yes, that's a putting yeah, that's action tokens fun. on your opponents. Very good for this type of team. Yeah. So any of those types of effects are what you're looking for. You still need a plan to like be able to do things offensively and stuff. You can't just put as many of these on your team as possible and think that because your opponent can do very little, you'll win. Your figures right, also like have to accomplish you, something. You but. get rid of you want to get rid of your opponent's ability to interact, but you still yeah. need to get yourself to a winning game state. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, and and a really interesting thing to do with this team, with that right now at least. It, well, Mr. Oz is around. Is like TK um, yo-yo strategies, where you sort of stand nearest to your starting area and have a Harry Leland out there, and then throw out some good ranged attacker, bring them back, and protect them with Harry Leland. Rinse and repeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and barrier is obviously good on this style of team. And well, just. and barrier with Harry Leland is just insane, right? You can just control like, exactly where your opponents well, can go. Well, flashes can't break barrier then, because it's not just when attacking yeah. and he gives minus two damage. It's any time they move. So uh, like, does, he have, does he have to have line of fire, or is it just no? No, it's just okay. a blanket. I thought so, but yeah. But yeah, so Harry he's Leland's really good. I, I actually realized this while testing with Dan. Um, that it even did that, right? Like, we played, and he was, like, destroying my barrier and killing my stuff, and I was like, okay, yeah. And then he's like, hey, wait, wait a, minute. a minute. I can't break the barrier. <laughs> oh, you're right. You absolutely can't. So, like, That's it, pretty good. Like, it prevents, like, Sky Tyrant without a power... Like, if they don't have a power gem, they're not breaking barrier. And even if they do, like, what are they doing after that? Right. That's That means they have to use whoever has their power gem to break the barrier. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're attacking with their one damage piece or whatever afterwards. Right. It's like, cool. Oh, yeah. I think, like, it, it's solid, like, him and Molecule Man and Mr. Oz. It's yeah. a good control element that you can play, but that's not a dedicated control team. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think, I think I think the closest you're getting is definitely something centered around those three figures. It's going to end up unthemed. You're going to play stuff like Commissioner because he's good. You'll end up a pretty awesome, like high evolutionary, probably a second, some flashes, probably. Just and then you probably like another thing I like probably. on these type of teams are uh, pog generators that don't have a limit. Yeah, because it's so a like way to Isaac, like, stand back and yeah. send things out. Like 50 point Isaac is great because he also he gives you Gaia for barrier and then Stellarax and Chaos are your threats. Yeah, I played a robots team centered around doing that and uh, it was really bad. But but that was because I had literally no other way to make attacks. So have some backup way to make attacks. I had like two skeets on the team and one of them was full points. It was not a good team. Oh, right. Yep. Yeah, skeets you, is true. I mean, at the very least, as far as control goes, you are like uh, Bishop and Harry Leland existing is a thing now, like very much so. So Although I they're also, not on the same I, swap. They don't share any no, of the same swap. No, but I also too. I also wonder if there's like an unthemed team that you might want to just throw both Professor X and Magneto on just because that no, just that seems was something uh, like we talked about at length on like how good Magneto is on non-theme because like he is I he is one of three things he is either Diamond Patch he is Tempo or he is like a Dark Phoenix right like <laughs> just turn him into whichever one of those you need for the matchup. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Like he should just always be there. Yeah, I think both uh I think both of us are pretty big fans of those like swap effects in general. 
I just, love it just because it adds a layer to the team building aspect. Yeah. Of the game. Being able to customize Heroclix is interesting because it's a best of one thing. Um, and you don't get to like swap any elements of your team out most of the time. So there will frequently be matchups that you just like have a very, very low chance of winning. But theoretically, at least, if you if the swap teams have enough good options, you can make a team that configures to have a reasonable chance against anything, which is appealing sounding to somebody who uh, has played a lot of other games like Magic or just doesn't want to lose some amount of matchups. Right. Yeah. I mean, clearly, Fantastic Four wasn't enough. They had to give that to X-Men. <laughs> clearly. Yeah. Well, and not only X-Men, but all of the other keywords that they tied in with it. Yeah, I'm not really <laughs> sure why Share and Illuminati ended up there, but I'll take it. But yeah, not like that Illuminati matters. matters at all. Like I, it I does. Like, Illuminati matters for cheaper gems. Yeah, but say, you, get cheap, you get cheap gems. I mean, but then you're playing Illuminati to begin with, and then it's like, well, well yeah, that's the problem. Uh, that's a problem. <laughs> I mean, it's I've looked okay. into it. They're all they're all pretty. They're expensive. I don't. If the Illuminati had better um, point value, yeah, low point you value. Like he cut Mister Fantastic. He's cheap. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah like you could, but <laughs> I haven't successfully yeah, built. I'm just kidding, man. I'm just saying I have looked into it for the listeners that are wondering if you're smarter than me, which you are. But I did actually look into it. No, there, yeah. it is really very, very difficult to figure out how you could possibly make a starting force that's entirely Illuminati that reconfigures yeah. into anything I, useful. I, yeah, I started to, and it just hit the point where I just I got to like. 175 points of the build, and I'm like, mm, I'm done. No. Yeah, me too. It's just not getting there. <laughs> yeah. I also hey, wonder... cheaper gems sound good. I don't think you can do with Magneto, because I don't think there's keyword overlap, but I wonder if there's a team to, like, play Invisible Woman and Steve Rogers on Avengers and bring in one of them. Like, that's probably not a thing, but that'd be um, fun. No, I don't think that's... Uh, a necessary. No, it's probably not. <laughs> I think I would rather just try for Unteams. <laughs> the most the most circuitous route to having a dark phoenix on your avengers team no because you could play uh morgan lefay and uh yeah that's why i said the most circuitous route not the best okay the least direct route um although morgan lefay isn't great no just use mr sinister instead so all right the the last pre-combo archetype uh which has historically been very good and is played right now, but I'm not sure is very good, is tentpole. Um, this is, you have a figure that's like, I'd say 150 points or more, but there are probably figures that are slightly less than that that have counted at some point. Yeah, I, I consider Old Man Phoenix at 140 to count as a tentpole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anything where most of your offensive output is through one particular figure and everything else is sort of centered around supporting it is a tentpole team. Um, the example of this that I've actually played is Witch Queen LeFay plus Lockjaw plus Groot plus Ironheart, um, which was a team that was just centered around making sure that Witch Queen didn't die and enabling her to attack well. I think the closest I played to this was Double Joker, where I just had ID ID batteries that didn't die. I mean, yeah. I mean the Joker could attack, but pretty much it's... Uh... Well, it's just not as much of a thing anymore because, like, there's so many attackers. Like, Emily was playing Omega, and we'd be playtesting. It's like, okay, like, you're hard to kill, but I can put in so many attacks. I can attack so. you six times with people with Psychic Blast, so... Yeah, pretty much. Have you played tentpole teams much, PJ? Mm, I'm actually, like, sitting here mulling, trying to think of any that I yeah. have played, and I don't right. know that... 
I'm sure I've played some, but like, I, oh, I played Jakeem. I played a lot of. Didn't you play? I think you played Black Panther at 150. Um, I don't remember. I don't think, I think so. you did. I thought you want to win a map with him. Well, that doesn't count. <laughs> I mean, 150. Wow. I played a lot of really weird stuff at win a map just to do it. Like, yeah. Um, but no, I think Jakeem is probably the only temple I've ever played. Yeah, so that's so it's kind of interesting that the only one you've really played is Jakeem, and the only one that I've really played is uh, Witch Queen, because they sort of are in the same archetype of tent poles, where it's just like as versatile on offense as possible. Yep. And I, I played them when you could pick Mastermind and like throw it over to Haha ha Joker, you know, like. Right. <laughs> and it's exactly the same strategy that I used for uh, Witch Queen as well, except that I was vulnerable to Outwits and you weren't at the time because you couldn't Outwit pick powers at the time. I assume. Right. That's before yeah. that changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I won Pat's 1K plan. Jakeem, Justin, Bat Knight, Fast Forces. <laughs> that sounds mean. <laughs> yeah. so that was good. also limited. So that, like. Yeah. And I, oh, and I had a Hulk Buster torso, not for nothing, but. I love fairly pointless elements to a team. Oh, My well, favorite no, it, is... It, I never had to pick a reducer for Jakeem because I gave him the torso. My favorite element from a team is uh, um, Tom's Gotham City with the one-point surfboard because he had a point left over, and why not? Yep. I mean, technically, he did play a map with water, so... Yep, he never equipped it, and nor did anybody else who played the team. Most people didn't bother putting it on the team, but some people did. Stayed true to the original idea. <laughs> anyway, I think, we were t- I think we were the main to- time I saw somebody equip a surfboard was, I think, Traitor. Like, their Traitor took the opponents for some reason, but it was cheating because it wasn't equipped any. Uh, yeah, support <laughs> never mattered. But we were talking about tentpole teams. Um before we got distracted, which is fine. Uh, so yeah, basically the idea is that you're playing one good figure, a bunch of things that support it. Right now, um, teams that people have played, although they haven't necessarily had huge competitive success with them, have been uh, Emperor Vulcan, Omega, and Darkseid are the three, I think, that are in Modern that are reasonable for this. I think we're about to see Mimic Prime. Sure. Emperor Gladiator will be one if he wasn't so undercosted. Yeah, he's not a tentful, though, because he's only a 30-year build. <laughs> Yeah, he's only 100. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, so... What oh, interesting... uh, t- uh, Ultra Chase Thanos saw some play. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he was really ball. good as a 10 for a while, for sure. Yeah. I'm just scrolling. I did a search for anything between 150 and 200. Yep. Trying like, to figure out which ones are good. There's just not that many. Like, no. Do we think that Mimic is actually good at full? People... Sorry? Who? Mimic Prime. Yeah, I think Mimic Prime is really solid at full. I have no idea. I haven't really looked into it. I don't think it's great, right? But I think it's, it's the of a best temple in modern. Yeah. I yeah. guess Null. Null is the most successful. That team I would not consider a temple team. That was like a point denial team. But he's high enough points to be considered it. Oh, dark side. Yeah, there's, dark side the there's been a fair amount of them that are yeah. 100. Like, that's not quite it. Like. Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. Null is only 125, but still oh yeah. lex joker duo i played him at 200 Ooh. that was another temple i played that's true i played a lot of lex joker duo really i love that piece it's like probably one of my top pieces that i love of all time like no i mean i'm with you i just always played it at 75 like i played it at 75 more often but i tried him at 200 yeah, that's fair can't argue with that I, I guess you could consider field. the Age of Apocalypse Magneto Alpha Strike team a tentpole team, but it was Alpha Strike, so 
I don't count it. Well, does well, it count uh, again, if, you're, you if you're focusing? Does it count if you're basically working like doing it off of ID cards? Like Lex Luthor is 200 points, but it's not because you're attacking with him. It's because he's high points and you couldn't target him. That's yeah. probably still tenfold. Yeah. Oh, I, I remember one of the ones that was really good. Uh, the uh, the hundred and what eighty point Kyle Rayner. Yeah, that's fair. Also, uh, Mary Marvel got uh, got. Played. Right. That that should have been my example. That was one of the first like, pieces that Devin really ever played. For like a year yeah. after I started playing competitively, the very first team that I ever got built for me included a Mary Marvel. So I just like played Mary Marvel on every team I played for over the next year. She was good. <laughs> yeah, she was really good at the time. Um, I never won anything with her because I wasn't, but uh, she was. Um, Tom won. I do. I do. Uh, Joe will stop laughing at me if I don't mention Worm. Worm did see some play. I, I did write a French article about him, and then I did see I some Worm. Play. I played the shit out of Worm. I forgot oh, about did it. you? Okay, I just never. I played him in at least three competitive events. Yeah, okay. so I think actually talking about all of these potential tent poles that were good is bringing us to um, what is good about tent poles. Uh, and which tent poles are good, which is um, when ID cards are were around, the good tent poles were the really hard to kill ones because it didn't really matter how much they could do offensively. You just sort of moved them around the map and called in ID cards. Um, once ID cards went away and a little bit while they were around, the good ones are things that are hard enough to kill defensively and provide like just a lot of offense because you're putting enough of your team into it that if they aren't providing a significant amount of offense then they're just not doing enough for you like witch queen could kill like two or three pieces in a turn if she had to same with Jakeem, we depending on the we, we did mention unimind right like we yeah <laughs> we didn't forget that one no did we, we did not actually okay <laughs> i said I, right. I said uni did you okay, okay good because i said i never played him yeah i also yeah. I just hated playing against him, so I, I never felt like playing him. <laughs> I, I play tested him against the locals, but I never played him. But yeah, Unimind Lockjaw is probably the most recent, extremely successful tentpole build. It was like point denial tentpole. And I think a majority of the good tentpole builds have been point denial tentpole. Yeah, yeah I mean, I don't know why you would play a tentpole that can just die. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Witch Queen was really good at surviving, except when your opponent crit them on every attack. Rip. You couldn't mastermind the yep. crit, so you have your character that got crit. I have my character that got crit. Yeah, yeah. I, I brought her to. I wanted WKO with her, and then I brought her to Worlds because I was scared of Goblin King. I didn't want to face it without a, a good pulse wave, um, which maybe wasn't reasonable, but that was my thought process at the time. And then two rounds in a row, the first of my opponent's attacks critter. I mean, Without to be fair, like, you did win worlds with her, just not constructed. Yes, I did. Yeah, I showed up and I played Witch Queen two days in a row in Team Worlds and individual constructed worlds. Yeah, so ten pull teams, you want like prob, telekinesis, perplex on your support pieces. You probably, depending on the build, you probably want some barrier as an option. Um, and then you want your tent pole to not be super easy to kill and to provide enough offense that you aren't just going to lose. Can you? Very likely want another attacker. Yes. And yeah, you want right um, some type of something to carry your tent pole so that he's not taking tokens just to get in position. Yeah, that's a good yep. point. If one I, of your support remember... pieces can carry. Like, it doesn't have to be a super taxi, right? It can just be a figure with flying. <laughs> yep. I remember the good old days of picking Earthbound with Jakeem so he could get carried. Back when Earthbound wasn't really stupid. 
good times. Also, um, if that thing that can carry your tent pole has sidesteps so that it can get your tent pole out after it attacks a bit, that's generally fairly useful as well. I always really like doing that with with colossals. Just move a colossal with sidestep forward, pick up whatever it was, and carry them back a bit. Yep. Yeah, so we don't have a ton to say about tent poles because it's not a type of team that any of us particularly favor, I think. But yeah. it's, uh, it's also it is incredibly to easy to build. <laughs> yeah, that that's true. Because over half over. your build is usually dedicated to one piece, the rest of it supports it. Like it's it usually falls in line. Yeah, so I guess the common way. pitfall that I see people doing with pieces that could be good tent pole pieces is just like putting two of them on the same team and being like, this is my team. Like, people used to do that with Witch Queen all the time. I'd see people bringing two Witch Queens. But, like, her only defense was Mastermind. So yep. you, you now have no defense power. <laughs> I mean, at least you're not as stupid as the person who said that double Witch Queen at 100 was good. Is that me? <laughs> yeah, that was that you. That was, uh, <laughs> that was exactly you, yes. I still think that that was just something that was not in, in the correct meta to be played. Is probably fine if that makes sense i, I mean then nobody no modifying stats is obviously really good as a part of witch queen so well the problem was that you couldn't modify her stats either and her stats were only okay so <sighs> no that was a joke again okay got it yeah i think that about covers it though yeah uh all right Take and then the one that and then the last one is going to be combo. Um, this is a, a personal pet of PJ's and, and of mine, um, which has not frequently been good. There have been a few really interesting options for it. Um, there's one current one that PJ's going to bring to a tournament for uh, Exodus and G. Yep. Um, once that's <sighs> There's a team that PJ built, Black Swan and Bronze, which could win on turn one if you got lucky enough. And it wasn't even that lucky. You just needed to roll. It wasn't five. that lucky. You just yeah, you it was really five. bad. I was there. Like yeah, he, he, missing that three games in a row was really painful. Yeah. <laughs> There's I the, missed the five three games in a row. Like okay, I guess I'm just not meant to freaking win this. There's the uh, now errated for the purposes of bronze uh, demon plus which gem reality gem. Well, yeah, new demon. rules would have fixed him anyway. Right. Yeah, that's true. New rules fixed a lot of these because they it also fixed Black Swan because it required knockback damage to work. <laughs> Good point. Oh, that's so uh, new rules actually fixed a lot of the really awkward combos. But I mean, that like some of them exist. I mean, a lot of things got eradicated to fix it, right? Because a lot of these combos are overly broken, like Rick Jones plus Ragdoll. Oh, yeah, that one. Uh, Rick Jones Ragdoll with Yafit is an infinite combo. So, because, like, Rick Jones, whenever one of his bystanders dies, you make a new one. Then Yafit gives them all sidestep, and Ragdoll says if you move in and out of a square that's adjacent, they take a damage. Yeah, I think it's probably better to ban those than, like, have a judge, like, arbitrarily say, oh, yeah. like, okay, no, Ragdoll yeah. advance the game state. Yeah, Tom was right about Ragdoll being a problem. He just, again, was in the wrong meta. Yeah, yeah I mean, sweet. I mean, if you had to sum it up of, like, what, like... The main, in my opinion, the main like thing is that like, Whiskey's banning Fast Horses Penguin uh, for Silver was absolutely correct. I disagree with that, but all right. 
I mean, um, three Uwatu errata, there were a bunch of Uwatu combos you could do as well in silver and bronze that would yep. win, at least on turn two, usually on turn one. There was actually a modern one that wasn't really a combo, but Wait. did work. Wait, are you saying that you want Penguin in the format? Is that what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. I think Penguin should just get an errata that says this is not an attack. Because I think the piece is good for the game. Like what? Okay, but that's that's different. That's very different than just. No, I, I would prefer if they weren't going to errata anything for them to ban the other stuff than him. Because like I'm I'm a dead set. Like people who are who play bronze are like why don't you just ban penguin instead of everything else? Because penguin is the more commonly played game element. Like he does good things. Like plus one range yeah. and plus one attack is good for what he is, and he enables effects. You know like um. Like the not fast horses penguin to move the penguins up, like I get it. it. Just, I don't feel people. like I don't feel like they would keep up with the ban list enough to do that. It's already hard enough to get like a rata. That's why they need to turn it over. Yeah. Let an independent contractor, quote unquote, me take care of the silver <laughs> bands, and it would be no problem. Perfect. Because like they haven't Your even banned uh, Legion B yet, so like infinite combos exist. Right, like, like, is there a way to go I actually infinite chain? Um, so it's not infinite because yeah. you could just crit like miss three times in a row, I guess. But yeah, um, but you're like twelves on fifteens. Like, you have to crit miss three times in a row. Not bad. Um, because well, like you have Mephisto, you have Sorcerer Doom to reroll the attack. Right, I forgot about the Mephisto part. Yeah, yeah. So like, it's just it's not infinite, but it's arbitrarily high. <laughs> It I'm still taking good. 30 minutes to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I yeah, also just think that if if all caps Doom didn't exist, like I played like unthemed Jason with Duke Thomas, and like those turns can just take forever. Yeah, like, even going to reasonable pace it is it, it is ridiculous. I'm not a yeah. fan of. And I, I think it's, it's a negative Duke play. Thomas, and I never managed to make it do anything. Yeah, like uh, yeah, like like you said, like Duke Chain. Uh, Mephisto Sorcerer Doom is just good luck doing okay. anything against your opponent, and it should it, it, full map reach is arbitrarily easy because it's a free to get it started. Like yeah, yeah. The other um, combo that was in modern and like we're talking about combo in um, combo that sort of wins you the game extremely quickly and infinite combo. It's not just. Did we talk about pre erata Psylocke? No, that's a that's a good one. Um, yep. Yeah, Psylocke who could mind control. Well, she's not really a combo controlled. piece though. She was just broken. She didn't need help. She just did it. <laughs> she was a one piece combo. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I meant, but it was like, technically with, an infinite. I meant with Gene specifically, so you could like do it without. Uh, yeah, right. Um, and then there was Nate's uh, Grandmaster Mangog team, which was really funny. Yep. You played on a specific map. This is definitely a combo because there's so many elements involved. You played on the specific map, the lounge, so that you could generate the penguins in your opponent's starting area, move them up next to something, get Grandmaster in range so that he can make your opponent punch them, and then retaliate into their starting area with a Mangog and promote and have a 100-point higher Mangog on turn one. Um, I think another one is just playing Jason and Gene. The mind control whole teams. Yeah, I, I did. I did actually write that down. Kind of some Jason teams, but yeah, yeah. that was def that's definitely the big one. I played that um, like at the one WKO before the pandemic when it was legal. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, it was really good. 
I, I lost in the top eight because my opponent was also playing it and then uh, hit like a bunch of eights and I missed all my sidesteps, which I actually mentioned on the last episode, but that I didn't need to make. <laughs> uh, but yep. that, that team was really good. Sometimes it just killed entire teams on like turn one. Yeah, sure does. I played When I played that, I played against a... Uh, I was on double Jason Gene because I just didn't feel like thinking. Um, and I played against somebody playing like, I don't know, 15 Wendigos, 13 Wendigos. My turn took like 26 minutes. We timed it. I know you didn't wow. play the... Um, which ring is it? The uh penetrating the one spectral? penetrating instead of spectral, spectral. Yeah. yeah i yeah. you didn't play spectral because you didn't feel it was necessary um, right i played spectral I, I played spectral this past weekend on jason nice yeah i think spectral jason's pretty good but uh by itself isn't a combo um yeah so exodus gene is the most interesting one here because it's a combo like there have been past combos where you could like there were, there was already ways to blow gene up um the problem with her before was that the ways to explode her weren't very powerful independently. So if killing, putting your own gene on the last click wasn't a thing that would win you the game in that particular game, you just yeah. lost the game. <laughs> yep. But now, now you get to switch them out if they don't win you the game. So that's really interesting. Yeah, and you just place it pretty much wherever you want. Like, I was looking... Like, I mean, it's a, you know, 13 by 13 square explosion. And, like, you can place it now that, like, tempo's a thing and, like, you have TK and all that stuff. It just, it's so tough to find somewhere you can't just park her and blow stuff up. Like, it's She awesome. doesn't require line of fire, right? It's just range? Correct. Nope. Yeah. I was pretty uh, sure that was the case. Yeah. I was sad when you told me about that before it was leaked and uh i was not happy because <laughs> i killed my team yeah sure does yeah all of those like stops. really good scientist teams it's just like okay uh i've killed all of your figures with one move that you really can't do anything about as the opponent like it's not the best you can do is spread out yeah and then they have to choose one of yours gets obliterated like and it's hard to make that be like less than half your team, right? <laughs> right. Or and the thing is, like, they always get to pick what they're going to kill, so it's not yeah, like so they kill the better half of your team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and that's, she's that's still alive. Like, she's not dead after yes. that. So and she gets, and to, she gets another... to attack or move back. <laughs> yeah. The the point that PJ made that I talked over a bit uh, was that it goes through stop clicks because stop clicks specify attacks. Yep. And that matters especially yeah. against High Evolutionary, who otherwise, if stop clicks worked, wouldn't die, but because they don't, just dies. Yeah, sad. It's very sad. Yep. I guess Wonder Woman Gigant is almost like a combo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Yeah, some of the, there's definitely some overlap between retaliator abuse and combo as well. <laughs> Yeah, like the COVID trick, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess we're we're pretty much done. I think that's all of the, like, big uh, archetypes. If anybody thinks of more, we can always address how we would build that particular archetype. We really can't give advice on this one because it's really when a combo exists, you can build it. <laughs> when a yep. combo doesn't exist, you can't. There's really no advice you can give on finding combos, so... Follow the Facebook pages, because usually these exactly. things don't go secret. Somebody will find it. 
Nah. Uh, HeroClix players have the thing that's kind of like the current modern media, where uh, they would rather be first than right. <laughs> so um, people don't like to hide this because they like to act like it's their idea, even if it wasn't type thing. Um, so you'll see combos pop up. Even if it doesn't work half the time, you'll see these combos yeah. pop up. The Exodus gene one also needs like a forge or something to increase Exodus's damage. Uh, right? Power gem. Or power, power gem. gem, yeah. Works. Um, power gem, Fabian Cortez, or forge are all enablers. Forge wouldn't is that, the cheapest wait, wouldn't that get into power a... gem is the cheapest game element. But it slows just... it down, technically. Oh, no, it's it's six damage from attacks, five damage normally. That's right. Power Gym doesn't overdo, because, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just realized. I'm, I'm an idiot, don't worry. That's why, like, Shield TA or Enhancement doesn't just make it super easy. Yeah, that's fair. Would Enhancement Oh, work? yeah. Enhancement does not work, because okay. it's only for attacks or... That's what I thought. Yeah, it's just his damage value, yeah. Yep. Um, on that team, I'm just curious, is there enough low point options to be able to swap those out for something good? Oh, oh yeah. Um, I have. Let me see if I can even find it here. Um, the team has like six different setups. Um, yeah, I'm sure there like, are. You can go into like like it starts on like Jason and like there's Harry Leland setups, there's Blackheart setups, there's Jason Jean setups. Um, it's like a plus. Wait, what, what's that? Six. That's Brotherhood theme. Uh, Hellfire theme. Um, the starting force is Jason. Harry Leland, Kate Pride, Dark Phoenix. Oh, you uh, bring Exodus in, okay. Yeah, bring Exodus in off the side. Okay. So you you have to be bringing something cheap in as well, then? Uh, Destiny. Okay. Uh, just because, I mean, and she's good in anyway, like the Legacy Destiny for 20 points. Yeah, yeah she's, yeah. She makes the she swap map a lot better. Yeah. can't remember the rest of the main force, but... Yeah, uh, it's a plus six. That's all I remember. <laughs> anyway, that's kind of a cool team. Uh, it's the only it's, it's the only useful combo that's currently in modern. Like there are things that you could do that are kind of comboy, but and the only reason it's so good in modern is because you don't have to play it. You're not stuck on it. <laughs> yep. Like that's you know, like you said earlier, that's the the draw of it is you don't you're not stuck. Yeah, I think that should cover it. I think we covered any questions uh, before on the last episode. So, yeah. So, pull up the... I mean, yeah, was there anything else from you two? Nope. Nothing else for me. I think we covered as many archetypes as I could think of and hopefully said useful I, things about... I would be very them. surprised if there's anything else. So, okay. So, that's it for today. I want to thank... The co-hosts and the patrons whose support helps us bring this uh, uh, content to you without me paying out of pocket for hosting. If you want to become a patron, the site is patreon.com slash jsaclicks. We have a Discord, early access to episode giveaways, and some other stuff. We have Podbean affiliate links where you could use them to get a month free for hosting on Podbean or for advertising on Podbean. You get $100 ad credit. We have social media for some reason. We have a Facebook page and group, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, want to plug our show affiliates. Our friend Devin Adams has the Happy Little Hero Cooks YouTube channel and a Patreon. Our friend Aries has his Facebook page, a Patreon, and uh, general dishing out click stuff. And I am contractually obligated to ask if you've heard of clicksnaxes.com. 
Thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you make sure to have fun the next time you play Hero Clicks, whether it's competitive or casual.